0: Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. Good morning, Three Crosses. There we go. See, that's that's what I want to hear. You guys are... Let's try it again. Good morning, Three Crosses. Much better, much better, see? I'm used to teaching men at 6 a.m., and they're even more excited than you. Um, You know, I was told about a month and a half ago, or not told, asked, kind of told, uh, they'd like to hear me preach, and so the first thing I did was make a plan to buy a 15-passenger van, take my wife, my kids, and my dog, and drive 8,000 miles away from the country. I just got back on Friday, Because they said they really wanted me to do it in person, and I didn't want to be on Zoom anymore. And then I found out, after kind of reflecting a little bit, that not only, right, did that happen, but they gave me the second shortest chapter in the entire Bible. You realize this? There's three verses in this. There's only one other uh, chapter in the entire scripture that's shorter than this, and so to me, what they must have done is said, all right, who's the biggest guy we can find And let's give him the smallest amount to say, (laughs) which makes sense. See, praise is the subject of Psalm 134. Maybe this has been a hard year for you. Maybe you found it difficult to praise God in the midst of your circumstances. Maybe you felt trapped in your home. Maybe you've lost family members. Maybe you've had things taken away from you, lost jobs. Maybe you look around and you don't really even recognize the place you live in anymore. Lost friends. This has been a tough year, tough year plus. But I'm hoping that this sermon today might give you some context and some hope in why and how to praise God, whatever your circumstance. See, I know what it's like to stop praising God, to forget to praise God. My wife and my kids and I—well, two kids at that point—we've had two more since. Thanks a lot, Three Crosses. Um, we were living out in Brentwood, in, in a house out there. I taught at a high school named Liberty High School. I coached wrestling and football, and uh, and our life was pretty comfortable, right? It, it was pretty nice. Until my brother dragged me—not dragged me, invited me—and dragged me to this place called Urbana, where I felt God's call on my life. I felt God say to me, like physically felt it. Maybe you've had this experience where the Lord has spoken to you. He said, "I want you to go to another community to work with kids, not like the ones that you're working with in Brentwood." I said, "All right, Lord." I don't know what that means, but I know it means you want me to leave. So where do I go? So I put in applications at a few different places. Uh, There were some opportunities that I thought would work out that would have been really, really great. And then there was Hayward. (laughs) And not that Hayward wasn't great, it was. But Hayward was not any place that I thought God would call me, and yet he did. And there I was, and so I followed where he sent me, right? I got offered the coaching job, and then I quit my other job, and then two months later I got the teaching job. That was a lot of fun. My wife can tell you about that. Like, what do you mean you're quitting your job to go take a coaching job? So oh, it'll work out, and God made it work, and I got there thinking I would run the triple option offense, and the very first day, and this is, not, this is a true story, this guy ended up playing in the NFL. See, I knew they had a kid on their team from the previous year who ran like a, a 10, 900 meter. If you don't know what that means, he's faster than all of you. <laughs> and I knew he was coming back, and I figured, you know what, we're gonna run this offense, and he's gonna be the leader of this offense. He's gonna run the whole thing. The very first day I step on campus, school has already ended, and there's no one, he's in the locker room, and he comes up, introduces me, and says, I'm transferring to Tennyson. <laughs> see I had a vision for what this would look like I thought like you've seen remember the Titans right new coach comes in you go to the championship everyone comes together they're all dancing like you know having fun maybe you've seen coach Carter right uh out in Richmond you know he comes into this program and like you know just like gets the kids and you know, has to go through some hard times and f- deals with the administration and the parents, but ultimately they go on to, to have the most successful season in Richmond High history. See, I thought that's what it would be like. See, isn't that what we all think when God calls us into things? That he's going to give us victory, which he is in his time. Because, see, in my third season, you know, it was funny, Pastor Danny was talking a few weeks ago about the third year in ministry being the hardest year. And what I told him afterwards was, well, my third season was my hardest year, but the difference was, instead of people just politely sitting in their seats and leaving and not saying anything, they all wanted to tell me how bad of a job I was doing. See, my third year, we went 0 and 10. Oh, yeah, someone said, oh. (laughs) That's, That's exactly right. We went 0 and 10. And not only did we go 0 and 10, but every week, I would go stand in front of thousands of people and they would watch me lose a football game and express their discontent about losing that football game, right? Every week, I would then come to church where everyone in Kaleo, which is our young family's ministry, would ask me, how'd the game go? And every week, I would have to explain to them, what we lost, and they would usually say things like, again? And the first three weeks, it's not that bad. Week nine, 10, yeah, it gets pretty rough. And what happened was, as I walked into that place and I became so wrapped up in what was going on with football, I lost sight of what God had called me to. I became absolutely focused on trying to fix what was wrong with the football team? My wife will tell you. I would spend three hours every night on the phone with coaches. Hey, what should we change here? What should we do here? My whole mindset, my being, I basically psychologically walked away from my family. I forgot why God had called me to Hayward in the first place. Because while winning's important, that's not all I was there for. See, I forgot to praise God i lost complete sight of what I had been sent there for. I I, I resonate with that scripture, with the scriptures here, because I see a similar thing happening in verse 1 of chapter 134 of the Psalms. Take a look with me. It says, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. And maybe you're reading that being like, my Bible doesn't say that. Yes, I I, I use a little New King James here, so we're going to have some fun with it. But when I read that, I'm thinking to myself, what is this saying? And what it seems to be saying to me is God is telling his servants, the ones who are there to serve him, to bless or praise him in the midst of their service. So then what is praise? Praise right? Well, we think of praise oftentimes as what we were just doing, right? Ian was killing it, right? People, hands are up, clapping, and that is praise. That is a form of praise. But I would submit that praise is something even more significant than that, more than just singing or lifting hands or closing your eyes. And while posture matters, I would say that praise is an inner response to an external reality, Praise is an inner response to an external reality. And how do we understand that? How do we get what that means? Well, I want to dig into that first verse. Take a look with me. Okay? When I read that first verse, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord, I ask myself, what does it mean to be a servant? See, what is the nature of of being a servant, what does it mean to serve? See, in this scripture, they're not just talking about general servants, though we all serve in whatever capacity that God has sent out into the world, we serve him and his kingdom. This specifically is talking about the Levites, the tribe of Israel set aside for service in the temple. So the question I have to ask myself is, why do God's servants need to be reminded to praise Him? Why do we need to be reminded to praise Him? I was thinking about this that this, the, the Levites are in the temple and their job is to fix things up or to pray for God or participate in sacrifices, and that those jobs, probably after time, become kind of routine. And maybe those jobs become all consuming. So that what eventually happens is you are simply doing the job, but forgetting who and why you're serving. The reason I know this is because as a coach in that 0-10 season, I forgot that God had sent me there to serve my players, to serve my students, to serve that community, and I confused my calling with winning. And not that those things aren't, can't be united together, but the one does not necessarily dictate the other. It reminds me of Jonathan Milton, one of his, uh, his poems as he's going blind and lo- losing his ability to see and to write. He has this line, he says, they also serve who stand and wait. See, it's not about the doing, it's about the serving. And who do we serve? Well, we serve our master. Who is our master? Our master is Jesus. But the problem is being a servant, you're constantly facing outward doing the work while the master is behind you. And so what happens? Well, it's easy. You forget why you're serving and for whom you are doing the work. Not for the crowds, right? Not for the rewards but for God. It reminds me of Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Pastor Danny preached on this a a couple months ago. The parable of the unmerciful servant, right? Talk about a servant who forgot literally right after being face-to-face with his master. See, God wants us to praise him, so we're reminded of who we serve and what our service is geared toward. In the parable of the unmerciful servant, you guys remember this, The servant has an unpayable debt that he goes to the master and the ruler forgives his debt entirely. Like, you don't ever have to pay me this. You know, insane amounts of money. And what does the servant do right away? He goes and turns away from his master and begins to collect the debt that's owed him. See, I had forgotten... That while we weren't winning football games, there were other reasons for me to praise God. See, we had been in a tough church situation. I was working in one church and my wife was attending another church. Um, And we left that when we came to Hayward and found three crosses. Which has just been a blessing to me and to my family. We had had a child Josh, you think that would be a reason to praise God? A new life, not as important as winning football games. (laughs) We'd had friends move or, or kind of transition into other phases of life, and we came here and were just surrounded by friendships that have lasted for a decade. I had a small group that we were plugged into here that the O's and the John's and others that were in it that just kind of guided my wife and I through these times. Man, there was so much going on that God deserved praise for happening in my life, but I couldn't see it. I was so focused on this one thing and so lost forgetting what I was there to do. Are you so busy with your work, you've forgotten the reason or the source of your labor? The second context I want to look at happens in verse 2. If you guys take a look with me. And it has to do with the nature of place and its effect on us. Does place often define, determine, and limit our ability to appropriately worship God? Let's take a look at verse 2. It says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise God. The Lord, now you're looking around being like, well, that's where I lift my hands up and praise anyway, Justin. That's when I come to church once a week, I lift my hands up in this place, it's called the sanctuary, and I praise God. But that's not what's happening here. See, what's happening here is that the Levites would be in the temple for months at a time. And something's going on in the temple where God needs to remind them to praise him, which shouldn't make any sense if you know anything about uh, what the temple looked like, right? Uh, The temple was this beautiful building, right, in which, in the Holy of Holies alone, there were 20 metric tons of gold on the ground and on the walls and on the ceiling, half a billion dollars in today's money of gold lining the walls, statues of cherubim carved out of olive wood, right, 18 feet high with wings, each wing 18 feet long, this spectacular place. You guys ever seen something that took your breath away? Right, I, we just got back from this trip I told you about. We drove all around the country, and let me tell you, places like Yellowstone. You see the, the the steam rising, and the grass, and the mountains around you. You go to the Grand Canyon, and you just see colors and lines, and just extending as far as you can see, east to west. My wife really enjoyed it when I took the boys right up to the edge. I was like, "Hey, look, guys!" <laughs> she did not enjoy that, but the boys did. So there. And yet something's going on here where God's having to remind his servants that even though they're surrounded by all of this amazing stuff, they need to praise him. How could you forget when you walk in and see 20 tons of gold, statues 20 feet tall, to praise God? Well, see, I've had this happen before. I've gotten so comfortable in my place that I've lost my sense of wonder and grandeur. And it happened while coaching football. Let me explain. Uh, The original field we practiced on at Hayward High was a gopher hotel, right? Holes everywhere. And the field we played on was at Sunset Field. And while many people may have fond memories of Sunset Field, by the time I started coaching at Sunset Field, those fond memories were 20 years old, Okay, All right? And Sunset Field was a dust bowl. In fact, I remember our last game at Sunset Field where we were playing San Lorenzo High, and there was no grass. It was all dirt and the play would start, the ball would snap, the cloud would come up from the ground. I'm not kidding. I have film on it. You can, you know, I got receipts. And out of the cloud would come a running back, and then the crowd would cheer. Because no one could see anything. And about three years ago, the district built us a stadium on our campus, a beautiful stadium, turf field, the whole thing. And I remember the very first day they opened it up to the public and we walked down there and I was just looking around like, this is incredible. And the very first game we played on it against Pinole Valley, just looking around going, this is incredible. And yet by the time my last season came, it was just normal. There was nothing like grand about it to me. It's like, oh, here we go, practice. Here's the field. There's the stadium. Oh yeah, there it is. Something about us causes us to lose that sense of wonder and awe, and I like to think that that has to do with our comfort, not just in our physical lives, but in our heads, right? We become so comfortable with our routines that we forget that God's calling us into new and different things. I would have been comfortable coaching football 30 more years if I didn't remember that God is calling me into something new. How do we... Remember to praise God when we've grown so comfortable where we are and who we are that we forget that He is glorious and worthy of our praise. I'd say the answers to those two questions about praising God in our service, not getting so caught up in our work and in our place where we are, both physically but also in our minds, has to do with understanding that it's not the nature of our circumstances that dictates our praise, but it is the nature of who God is. And what does that look like? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons that come out of one verse, and that's Exodus 3.14. See, in Exodus 3.14, you maybe have heard this story before, Moses before the bush. He sees this bush, it's burning, it's not consumed, and Moses approaches it, and a voice From out of the flames says, Take your sandals off, this is a holy place. And Moses asks, Who are you? Because see, where Moses is from in the Mediterranean region, all the gods have names, right? You got Asherah, you got Baal, right? You got Osiris, you got uh, Zeus and Hera, and and all the gods were named. And yet, when Moses asks the name of who this deity is that speaking to him god's response is i am who i am translated another way i am being who i am being see the unchanging nature of god that he is always who he is is the reason he is deserving of our praise because central to praise is praising that which is deserving. And how do we keep that in mind? We keep it in mind through three things. Number one, we remember that if God is always who he claims to be, I teach second grade Sunday school, right? And like one of the things I always tell the kids is that if God did it before, he will do what? He'll do it again, right? Because if God is always who he claims to be, and he is unchanged, not like us, right? We change pants sizes, We change hairstyles. Some of us change girlfriends. Some of you need to stick with your original girlfriend. No. Um, But we're always changing. God is not. So if we think about what God has done in the past, rescuing Noah and his family from the flood, bringing the Hebrews up out of Egypt and slavery, uh, Jesus dying on the cross, allowing himself, the Son of God sent to us to allow himself to die on a cross only to take his own life up again in power. Have you, have you wrestled with the fact that Jesus died on a cross and took his own life up again for you? Have you grappled with that? And see, it's not just stories we find in Scripture, but it's actually stories from our own lives. Maybe you're sitting here going, man, Justin, I don't have any stories like that. God's never done anything miraculous, right? God's never rescued me from anything. Never, I don't have any stories of things worthy of praising God. Maybe that's you at home. I would say that there are people in this congregation who do have those stories, Right, let, me hear, let me see it right now. Who has a story of God having done something miraculous, worthy of praise, bringing them up out of death, up out of darkness, working some sort of miracle in their lives? I see hands all around. See, maybe you don't have that story. Go find someone in here today. They'll have that story. Because if God is who he says he is, then what he has done in the past, he will do now. secondly, not just what God has done in the past, but what God is doing in the present. See, God is constantly at work. That's been a hard thing to keep in our heads during this year. I don't know if you guys have struggled with this, that God's at work in this place, right? I'm sitting staring at a computer all day teaching Zoom. I don't know how many of you guys had to go to school on Zoom. You know what's worse than going to school on Zoom? Teaching on Zoom, right? I'm sitting there talking to a computer. I feel like I'm going insane, Right? <laughs> No, everyone's screens are black. They can't, I can't see who's even there, right? If I wanted to sit on computers all day, I could go make a lot more money doing it somewhere else, like working for Google or something. So that's been a hard thing for us to keep in mind, and yet God is working and constantly doing things in the present. See, God, during that same year of COVID, brought me from coaching football into this ministry, leading the men at Three Crosses. See, what that God was doing, I thought God had sent me there to, to coach football. God did not send me there to coach football. He sent me there to serve that community and to prepare me, much like Moses in the desert, where I was leading young men, and now he's moved me into leading, well, not as young men. Some of them are pretty old, actually. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the heart that he's given me is the same. And the experiences that I've had are now serving me in my current role. And if I hadn't had those things, I guarantee you this, if I had not experienced what I had then, I would not be prepared to do what I'm doing now. See, the same miraculous work that God did then, God is continuing to do. And I know that he's going to be faithful, because just like he pulled my program out of the depths, So that like the last two years we won league championships and we were six years in the playoffs and we sent 14 kids out on scholarship and we won a first home playoff game in over a decade, God is going to make those things happen again in whatever capacity he sends me. Maybe just not in my third year. Because what God has done in the past and what he's doing now also applies to what God promises to do in the future. And to that I look at Revelation, guys. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verses 2 through 5. And if you've been in a tough place during this pandemic, I want you to just let this marinate inside of you. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. God's promise for us in the future, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. God will live with you and with me and we will live with him. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death I'm going to say that again there will be no more death the promise he has for us or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away see God has a good plan for our futures that he will see to fulfillment brothers and sisters I ask you now if you haven't considered that God sent his son Jesus for your salvation to be a part of that plan, do not leave this place without turning to him. This is always the time. Always the place. See, by praising the source of our servanthood, by remembering that it is who God is that dictates our praise, And by praising whatever space we're in, we make ourselves equipped to continue in service. And we look ahead with joy and pray that someday every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you're saying, Justin, that's great theoretically. But how do I praise? And so I'm just going to give you six things. Right. Once the theory's in place, the rest works itself out, but let me give you six practical ways that you can go about praising God and structuring your life in order to praise God. The first one is this, dinnertime thankfulness. Shout out mom and dad who came up with this one long ago when I was a child. There's something that we do in my family where every time we gather for dinner, we thank God, we go around the table and give thanks for what God has done for us in that day. And that reminds us of the good works that God is constantly doing. Number two, hold your hands up, outstretch. I always love science, right? Because science is always confirming what scriptures already tell us, right? You know, it's like scripture says, hey, hold your hands up. And then like 2,000 years later, science is like, hey, holding your hands up is good for you. <laughs> right? You got to love that, right? Take on a posture of prayer. Hold your hands up, outstretched when you pray, when you sing, right? That way your body is a reflection of the actual prayer itself ascending up to the Father. Number three, thank God before meals. This is a simple one, right? Thank God for your daily bread. I know we get our bread from Costco or Safeway or wherever, but thank God that it's there, right? Thank God for your toilet paper because there was a time about a year ago where toilet paper was hard to come by. But you thank God regularly before you eat as a reminder that it is God's provision that we have what we have. Number four, parking lot prayer. I love this one. Hey, after 8,000 miles on the road, let me tell you, you pray that God is like providing for you, right? A truck pulls over in front of my wife and then slows to 20 in like a 65 zone, and we all almost die, and then we're like, "Thank you, Lord." for saving us from this, right? When you get someplace in your car, pray. Thank you, Lord, for seeing me safely, right? Number five, write down your prayers. I love this one. My, my, I have family members that practice this. I'm not great at this, but they write their prayers down and then over time they can look back and see how God has intervened and in answered prayer, which causes us to praise. And the last one, and this, there's a lot of reasons to read the word, but the last one is this, man. Be in the scripture. Read the scriptures and be reminded of God's faithfulness. Have you been in a desert for the past year? There are scriptures about people wandering in deserts for 40 years. How do you praise God, right? And Maybe you've been in a dark place. There are scriptures about people who've been in dark places, and, and be reminded that God is faithfully seeing us Through these things, not because of the outcomes, but because who he was is who he is and who he ever shall be. Bow your heads. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the scriptures that remind us over and over that you are always faithful and just, loving us, and seeking our good. Lord, some of us have been struggling with difficult things in our lives. May we be reminded that you are constantly working for our good, and may we be reminded to praise you whatever our work, wherever we are, because you are who you say you are. May we carry that in our week, and may this be in our hearts, as we go about being your servants in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.